I hope those of you in the room are not dancing nearly enough to that song. I feel like we should we should require you to stand up. And those of you that are at home, I hope you're just cutting loose with that. Uh, but good morning. It is great to have you here. If you're joining us online, welcome. Actually, we've got a, quite a few uh, faces in the room this morning. Most of them are friendly. I can't see many of them since they're behind masks. Good job uh, with your masks. Uh, real quick, I need you to help me out as we get started. And those of you that are home, you need to play as well. But help me out. I'm going to start. Uh, this is going to sound crazy, uh, but we're going to go. I'm going I'm to sing a few lyrics to a song, and then I need you to help help complete the song. Now, now you're going to be probably familiar with it if you, know, if, you, if you grew up around the same time I did, or maybe as a young parent, uh, maybe your kids watched some Mr. Rogers. But Mr. Rogers demonstrated what Jesus was talking about that we're going to look at today. Okay, so, so Jesus was talking about this, Mr. Rogers was demonstrating it, but see if you can help me out with the conclusion to this lyrics, and please don't judge the singing. It's, uh, it's the point that matters, okay? All right. It's a beautiful day in this, a beautiful day for a, so let's make the most of this beautiful day, since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine, could you be mine, won't you be my neighbor, exactly, oh good, you, you either watched it or you just felt sorry for me and came up with a word, one of the two. <laughs> we are continuing with our series called Follow the Leader, and if you're a Christian, If you would say that you have accepted the forgiveness and the life that Jesus offers through his his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, if you claim that, then that means that you're a believer of Jesus. And as a result of that, that means then that Jesus is your leader and he is the one that we follow. And we started to explore last week the idea of finding out one of the ways that we need to follow our leader is to look in and see what he said was most important. We actually talked last week about a way that that you and I have the potential, if we begin to apply this to our lives, it's the potential for you and I to wake up every single day, move through our day, and actually face each and every day, and able to look back at that day and say, I successfully followed the leader today. Now, if we're actually going to be able to do that and look back at our day and say we followed the leader successfully, uh, it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to require each of us to wake up each day and make that decision that we are going to follow the leader. So this morning, I want to focus on the second aspect that Jesus described as how we can follow him and what he called us to. And he called us ultimately to love our neighbors. So let's look at how can you and I be the most incredible neighbor that we can possibly be. Last week we started out, we were in the book of Matthew, and Matthew was one of the guys that that followed Jesus, that knew Jesus, and and Matthew is kind of recording the story of Jesus, And, and Jesus is in this situation where he's dealing with some religious leaders. And these religious leaders throw a question at Jesus, and and they think they're gonna trick Jesus, they think they're gonna get him in trouble. They think they've backed Jesus into a corner and that he's gonna have to answer in a way that he's not gonna be get able to get out of. And we read last week, and we saw the very beginning of it. We're going to kind of read that again, and then we'll move beyond that. But the the verses are on your screen. The question is this. This is the conversation. One of the individuals said, Teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So when Jesus is given this as the greatest commandment, and when we begin to look at this, what Jesus is saying is that all of the other commandments, if you don't get this one right, all of the other commandments won't matter. This is the commandment 
that if we don't get this one right, then nothing else will make sense. He is saying, listen, if you, if you want to know what God sees as most important, if you want to understand what God sees as the most valuable thing for you to do, this is it. First thing, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. If you love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, it will all work out. And what we talked about last week is that we began to look at each of these aspects of ways for us to love God and, and what that would look like in our lives and how we can confidently say we are following our leaders if we love God with our heart and what that looks like and with our soul and with our mind. And we talked about last week that if we love God with our heart, it means that we've made God the center of our life. It means we're, we're worshiping God above everything else, meaning we are honoring him above everything else, meaning that we find our balance, that we find the core of who we are based on our love of God, that that becomes the primary focus in our lives. And when that becomes the primary focus of our lives, that when we're loving God and honoring him with the core of who we are, then that pours into loving God with our soul. And when we love God with our soul, it's a decision to obey him. That when God prompts us, that when God leads us, that when we, when maybe even we recognize something that we've never recognized before, maybe we read something in scripture that we've never seen before, or we, we're in conversation with somebody, or somebody, God taps us on the shoulder and says, this is where you need to obey me. In that moment, when we hear his voice and we obey, that is our soul responding and loving him as he leads us. And then we talked about loving God out of that obedience and responding to him and trusting him and recognizing that God has the best for our lives. And as we do that, then lastly, we begin to love God with our mind. And when we love God with our mind, it means we're continually making the choice, continually making the effort to give focus to God, choosing to focus on who he is, to love him, and to think on the things of God and the concepts of who he is. And so Jesus says, this is the first commandment. Of all the commandments, this is the first and the greatest. But then he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just leave it as a connection between us and God the Father. Jesus has more to say. Jesus says this. He says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus is asked, which one is the most important? Which one is the greatest of all? And Jesus points out, he says, these two commandments, they are equally important. He's not saying we love, we love God more. We do love God first. God is the primary part. But in addition to that, at the same time, what is just as important, what is just as great, is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And not only does he say that these are the most important and these are the greatest, he uses a term where he says they're also the first which essentially means because they are the first, they are the filter through which we look at all of the other commands. They are the filter and the way in which we anticipate and work out all of the other commands, all of the other instruction, all of the other ways that we live. It means that before we consider any other law, any other commandment, any other instruction, any other direction, Jesus says, these two are first. And if you've been around church a long time, you've heard these, and you're like, yeah, I love God. It's so much bigger than that. Because Jesus recognizes, and Jesus knows, that if we will follow him on these, that we will love God first, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. And then we will love our neighbor in the way that we want to be loved. 
If we put ourselves in the position of our neighbor and then we love our neighbor the way we would want to be loved if we were in that position, it will transform our lives and it will transform the lives of all of those that are around us. So let's think about this in just sort of some everyday ways, some everyday scenarios. Some of you remember doing this, driving down the freeway. Um, don't do it much anymore, but driving down the freeway, and as you're driving down the freeway, and it's sort of crowded, and you start to see somebody that's ahead of you a little bit, and they put their blinker on, and they want to change lanes, it's like, you're not slipping in front of me, <laughs> right? Don't you dare slide in front. But what we should be considering in that moment when we see the blinker is, how would I feel loved if I was the person that needed to change lanes? How would I feel loved if I was the person that needed to change lanes, and now I'm going to respond that way? How about this? Maybe, maybe you're shopping, and you're in the grocery store, and you're, you're pushing your cart, and you're moving, and you're looking at something, and you're trying to decide which pickles to purchase or whatever, and all of a sudden, somebody rams into your cart. What? You just, you just totally ran into my cart. Consider for a moment how you would feel loved if you just ran into another person's cart, I mean, I mean, don't start thinking in your mind, oh, they just don't respect the process. They don't seem to care. Why are they not paying more attention? They are so rude. They, are, they shouldn't be in such a hurry and so in, Don't go there. Don't start thinking of all the things that they should be doing differently. In that moment, think to yourself, if I was pushing my cart and not paying attention or whatever it, was, whatever it was, if I ran into somebody else's cart, how would I feel loved by the other person's response? However you would feel loved by the other person's response, then you respond that way. Now let's make it a little trickier. Let's say you're driving down the road and you come to a stoplight. And when you get to the stoplight, you look to your right, and there's a gentleman holding a sign. And the sign says, just looking for some change to buy lunch. Consider how you would feel loved if you were the individual holding the sign. Now, there's times we have to actually start to dig a little bit. We have to dig a little bit to figure out how would we feel loved, or what does love look like in that situation? Because here's what I know. I know there's been moments on the freeway where I needed to change lanes. I know what it's like to be the person that put on my blinker, and I really got to get over. So I know what it looks like to be loved in that moment. Sadly, there's been moments where I've been in a grocery store, and I wasn't paying attention. I was sorting through the list, trying to make sure I got exactly what my wife asked for, right? Husbands, we know that's a big miss if we get that wrong. Trying to get it right, trying to get it right, and then my grocery cart bumped into another grocery cart. So, so I know how I want to be loved in that situation so I know how to respond. Now thankfully, because God has provided, God has blessed, I've never stood on the corner with a sign asking for cash so I could get lunch. So what that means is I probably got to do some digging. I'm probably going to have to do some work to figure out what it looks like to be loved if I've never been in that spot. If I've never been that other person, if I've never been in those other, that other person's shoes, if I've never actually experienced that, I'm probably going to have to figure out, I'm going to have to learn what it would look like to love. And what it means and what it begins to mean when we begin to see that and what we saw last week is that when we decide to do this, love isn't for the weak. Because it actually costs us the most. 
Sometimes you'll see a sticker and it says something like, love wins, and it's really easy to be like, yeah, love wins. Love is so fluffy and love is tough. If we're truly going to love, it is not an easy task. Because not only do we have to give of ourselves to love, not only do we have to slow down a little bit for them to merge or be gracious because they ran into our car, we actually have to figure out who we're supposed to love and then what that love looks like. So if we're going to let somebody change lanes, that probably means we have to back up a little bit. We have to take our foot off the accelerator a little bit. We actually have to give up our spot on the freeway. It also probably means... As they're merging over, we're probably not yelling, Hey, you idiot! Why don't you learn how to drive? First time behind the wheel, buddy? Right? Like, just because we let them in. But if we think all those things, and, you know, hopefully we're not waving at them with any special fingers or anything. Like, it's got, the whole thing encompasses loving them. And if we're going to love somebody that's run into our grocery cart, it probably means we have to figure out how to assume the best. Rather than, why are they in such a hurry? Maybe what we recognize is they've probably had a horrible day. Maybe as they've been pushing their grocery cart, they just got the most difficult text they could have received. Maybe they're just learning how to drive a grocery cart. (laughs) Maybe they're new. And if we're going to love somebody that's holding that that cardboard sign? If we've never been there, if we don't know the circumstances behind that, if we've never experienced that, it probably means we're going to have to do some homework. It probably means we're going to have to do some investigating. It probably means we're going to have to sit down and figure out what it actually will look like to love that individual. It might mean we have to take some time and discover ways that it best works to love the individual. And begin to look at how do we actually do something that is loving to that person. And what we've discovered in the city of Linwood, they're doing some great things to help those individuals that are on the streets, that are are holding those signs. And one of the greatest things that we can do is help the agencies that are locally that are trying to help those individuals on the streets. But even though we recognize and that we know, like the police in Linwood would tell us that handing them dollars, that giving them money might be the thing that keeps them on the street a little bit longer than getting the help that they need. Wouldn't we also agree that in that moment, acknowledging the individual might be one of the most loving things we can do as we sit there at the stoplight? Because I'll be honest, I sit there at the stoplight and I can see them holding the sign and I'm like, please turn green, please turn green, please turn green. Somebody else give them a dollar. You know, like I'm like, but, but, but what if we just said hi? What if we acknowledge their existence with a head nod? Wave? What if we circled our car around and parked in the parking lot nearby and walked over and just had a conversation with them and simply acknowledged that they existed? That is not for the weak. If you want to love somebody that way, that's going to cause some uncomfortability probably for us. That that might cost us some, some dignity as we stand there on the corner. Certainly it's going to slow us down. Because probably we're headed somewhere. Probably we've got something really important to get to. Now last week I mentioned that over the next couple of weeks, I'm very specifically speaking to those individuals that already claim to be a follower of Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm not trying to convince anybody to follow Jesus. 
I, mean, I, mean, I hope people do. But, but really, I'm working from the foundation this morning that you've already decided that you're going to follow Jesus. And my hope is that as you hear his words and as we break them down more, that you will begin to recognize what it truly looks like and what he has truly called us to do and what it looks like to follow Jesus in probably one of the most difficult ways possible, loving our neighbor. Now, if you're listening this morning, or if you're in the room, or, or if, if, if for whatever reason, however you're watching this or hearing this, and you've not decided to follow Jesus, please don't click the X, please don't walk out of the room. I'm not saying that. But I think it's valuable for you to know, for you to understand, if you're considering following Jesus, if at some point you decide to follow him, you should probably know what's up. And maybe that sounds a little ominous, like, well, better be careful, you're going to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're in the room and you're like, what did I sign up for? I'm not trying to say that Jesus is going to ask us to do things that we regret, or that following Jesus isn't going to be worth the cost. What I'm saying is that following Jesus, when we choose to truly do that, he will call us to things that will cost us more than anything else. And the story that we're about to look at, we'll, we'll begin to see how expensive it really is. But when we choose to follow him and when we choose to truly embrace it, we will gain a life that comes with less regrets. And we will gain a life that is full of hope. And we will gain a life that is full of joy. And we will gain a life that has an inner peace that is deeper than any other way. Because we will experience as we go through life that we have consistently treated those around us in a way that is so true that when we fall asleep at night, we will not be kicking ourselves thinking, oh, I missed it. And the real cost and the real difficulty is for you and I to be begin to consider, who exactly is my neighbor? Who exactly is it that I have been called to love? Who is it that I've been called to really begin to consider fully who Jesus said my neighbor is? And the really good news is, we don't even have to guess at it. We don't even have to sit down and debate who our neighbor is. Because Jesus was actually having a conversation with another religious expert, and they were talking about these exact two commandments. They were having a conversation, and in the end, as they went through this conversation, the individual said, okay, well, Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? You know, because he's like, I only got two, right? The two guys next to this is pretty easy. But he knows that it's probably more than that. So he's like, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus, in this amazing way that he loves to do, he loves to tell a story, and cause people to recognize and think in a way that's so much deeper than if he had just said, oh, this is your neighbor, and this is your neighbor. He begins to cause us to wrestle deeply and consider who our neighbor is. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus replied with a story. He said, a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Okay, get this. This is just a regular dude. Jesus is talking to some Jewish individuals, and so we've got a Jewish man taking a trip that probably most of these guys have taken. They all know about this, this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's what they do. So we've got this regular dude, a normal guy, nothing special about him, nothing weird about him. He's just walking along. Like, this is just a guy taking a trip, and he gets jumped by some bandits. Okay? Everybody know what's going on? Keep reading. It says, They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. 
by chance a priest came along. Like if this was a movie, if we were watching like a, a musical, right? Like right now the music would have like crescendoed and it would have been like, the hero is on the job, right? Like the pastor is on the scene, everybody stop worrying. The guy is beat up, he is half dead, and the pastor is here. Things are going to be okay. He certainly will know how to help the guy that's half dead. I mean, right? Like, the end of the story. Unfortunately for me, we keep reading. (laughs) But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And if you've been in church too long, that doesn't hurt you enough. Because we've just read it a thousand times. Think for just a second. Like, like, really try to wrap your mind, this is going to sound weird, wrap your mind around the mind of an individual who could walk up and see a person that's half dead and not help. Like, what has to go through the mind of an individual that sees another individual half dead and ignore it and walk on? It's 100% self-preservation. It's in that moment asking, am I more worried about me or am I more worried about him? And clearly that particular priest, that particular pastor chose to be more worried about himself and what would happen to himself if he stopped than what would happen to the guy if he did stop. The question he asked himself is, what will happen to me if I stop, not what will happen to this guy if I do? Or what will happen to this guy if I don't? I mean, he maybe had a really important appointment to get to. And he might look really bad. Or he might miss out on some sort of a connection. I mean, he might have asked himself, he might have been thinking, if I stop, like what if this is just a setup? What if the the bandits are hiding behind some rocks? What if they're just waiting, knowing that somebody's going to come along and help this guy, and when I'm helping him out, they're going to jump me? Again, he's asking, what's going to happen to me? Not what's going to happen to him. What's going to happen to me? And he's a priest, so we know he's dressed fine, looking good. And he's got to be thinking, if I get down here and get into this, I could get some blood on my clothes. I'm clearly going to get dirty, and this is a brand new outfit. What's going to happen to me? Not what's going to happen to him. And whatever it was, whatever it was that was leading him down this road of thought, his thought was he was worried about himself more than he was worried about the guy on the side of the road. Keep reading. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. We got, I mean, this is a pastor in training. This is a good deal. He's probably been listening to the other priest that has been saying, help people out. But again, he begins to consider what the cost will be for himself if he stops. I mean, at least this guy took a look, right? He, he walked over. It says he walked over and he at least looked at him. Ooh, that's really bad. And he began to ask himself, what will it cost me to stop? What will it cost me? 
He's like, i got to figure it out. I've got to figure out, is it going to be worth it to me to stop, or is it going to be harmful for me to stop? And he couldn't get beyond those two things, and he considered for himself in that moment, and he's like, me or the guy, me or the guy, me or the guy. He thinks me. He thinks I better worry about myself. I mean, maybe his boss is expecting him. And what if he gets, if he's late and he helps this guy? And what if, what if he wastes time and he helps this guy and the guy actually dies and now he's late to his appointment? I mean, the guy's, the guy's almost dead. He's half dead. He's pretty close. So what if he helps the guy and then he gets to his appointment? He's like, yeah, I stopped to help this guy. He was mostly dead. And the boss is like, you just should have left him there. I mean, what if his wife had just read something on the internet that morning and just told him before, she, before he left, said, listen, there are people out there trying to set up traps and pretend that they're injured, and then when you stop and help, they turn around and they come get you. And maybe because he's a temple assistant, maybe he's not making a whole lot of money yet. I just made it sound like pastors make a lot of money. I'm sorry, that was not, that was not what I was trying to say there. Uh, but what if he started to think, what's the financial impact if I get involved? Like, I, I got a little bit of money, but if I start this process, I mean, this guy's in bad shape. If I start to take this journey, what's the end cost going? I don't know if I can afford to see this thing all the way to the end. Like, he's heard the statement that, that no good deed goes unpunished. But, but whatever he's thinking, whatever the process is, he decides to walk by. He passes by. So obviously he's more worried about himself than the guy on the side of the road. Story keeps going. Then it says a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So, so if, if we were to rewrite that today, or if Jesus were telling us this story now, Jesus might have said something along the lines of, and then a former KGB officer came along. Or CIA, or, you know. Or, or maybe if he really wanted to get to the heart of us and really touch deep, he might have said, and then a hated Houston Astros fan <laughs> came by. I mean, really what Jesus is trying to get at is the most unlikely person possible is now and the person we don't think is going to help at all a despised samaritan now we don't have the time to explore all of this today but, but just take note of how jesus identified this guy what is the difference that he has just pointed out he's just identified the individual's race He's just recognized the Samaritan is a despised individual because he is a Samaritan. Which means he's being despised because of his race. Essentially, a Samaritan is considered a half-breed. Not good enough to be a full Jew. Half-breed. So his race caused him to be seen as unequal to the Jews that Jesus is currently talking to. And I know that right now we've got all kinds of racism and racial struggles in America. This is not a new thing. And Jesus saw it, and Jesus said, we've got we to deal with this. And Jesus is like, let me, just, let me just point it out here. These two guys are different. And we begin to see and we begin to recognize what it is that Jesus feels like and what Jesus approaches and how Jesus says, this is how you should respond to people that are different than you. 
This is how you should respond to somebody that, that even maybe racially is different from you. This is how you should respond to somebody that you think is less than you. Or maybe somebody that has treated you poorly, because there's a really good chance that this particular Samaritan, as a half-breed, as somebody that is less than, has probably not been treated well by Jews in the past. And Jesus is helping us to begin to think, how do we respond to another person, especially if it's another person that happens to be a different race than us, that's in trouble and has been mistreated? Jesus is like, what do we do? How do we respond? Back to the story. It says this. It says the Samaritan, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked the man. Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The question at the very beginning of this that the guy asked was, who is our neighbor? And then Jesus tells the whole story, and then rather than actually answering the question, Jesus doesn't answer the question. Jesus asks the guy, he's like, well, who's the, who's, who's the neighbor? And the guy's like, well, uh, the guy that the guy that showed mercy. And mercy sometimes sounds like just such a kind of a weak word. Like, oh, mercy. Seems like this sort of small, subtle word that like doesn't carry. Mercy in this story? Mercy is absolutely unbelievable love in action. Jesus has just painted this almost unbelievable story of an individual that should never in our mind stop and help, who nobody would anticipate stopping. But he does, and he does it in the most extreme way possible. And then when it's all over and Jesus says, that's the guy that extended mercy, that is the neighbor, Jesus says, now go and do the same. Basically meaning, the person that is, is in need, the person that is in the most desperate form of need, that's your neighbor. Love them. Demonstrate, extend mercy to them. That individual that you see that's been beat up, that's been thrown out, that's about to die, that's your neighbor, respond. And it could be lack of food, it could be lack of money, it could be lack of a home, it could be somebody physically struggling, it could be an emotional struggle, it could be a relational struggle, it could be somebody we're trying to understand their priorities, it could be all spiritual. There's, it's, Jesus doesn't really qualify the need, he's just like, who's dying, who's half dead, respond there. So it, it could be the guy holding the cardboard sign, that's a type of need. It also could be the guy that works in the cubicle next to you who, who maybe just got separated from his wife and is trying to make sense of his life and just needs somebody to come alongside. That's, a, that's obviously another kind of need. But what we can't miss and what we really actually have to expect and understand is that, that loving our neighbor will cost us time, it will cost us reputation, and it will cost us money. Jesus just pointed out all three of those things happened for the Samaritan. We always call this, you guys know the name of this story? The Good Samaritan? Jesus actually identified him as the despised Samaritan. 
Like, we always paint it as the good guy, but, like, in the story, they're all like, nobody likes this guy. He's the despised. He's the hated. He's the worthless Samaritan who stopped, and it cost him time. I mean, we've got to assume this guy is headed somewhere. And we're going to talk in just a second, the two silver coins. This guy's got some funds. So he's probably got some stuff to do. He's probably got some responsibilities that are now going to be delayed. He's now taking the donkey that he's got, that he's taking somewhere, and he's put on extra weight, and now the trip is going to take that much longer. He's going to wear out his animal for the good of this other guy. And there are times where we don't help our neighbor because we don't know how, and my guess is when this guy saw the individual there, it doesn't say the, desperate or the despised doctor that was a Samaritan, He's not an EMT. He's not even a basically trained, he hasn't even taken first C, or CPR. We don't, he doesn't know how to do any of this. But it's going to cost him. And he had to figure it out. And sometimes when we think about the guy with the cardboard sign or the person that we aren't sure how to help, sometimes we ignore the problem because we're like, I don't want to have, I don't have time to figure out how to help that situation. I don't have time to consider what my Bible says about how to respond or, or taking the time to do my homework and figure out. When I look at what the fact that Jesus said, love my neighbor as myself, I don't, I don't have time to figure out how if I was in that situation, I would know, I don't, I don't know what to do. So, I mean, we'll research everything, right? Like, if you're me, you know, I've been sitting on a chair a lot more over the last couple of months. So, so we did some research and we figured out what's the best chair to sit in all day long. Some of you have considered, what's the best travel coffee mug for your commute from your kitchen to your home office? Like, what's... You know, we, we, we research things like, what's the best program for our kids to get into and the school that they need to get into? And we'll research all of that, but oftentimes when it costs us time to figure out how to love our neighbor, the, the neighbor that's in a different situation that we're in, our tendency is to consider, like, ah... I don't have time. What will happen to me if I spend time investing in that? I don't have time. I don't have time to figure out how to love. I don't really know how to love, and I don't have time to figure out how to love, and so we just, yeah, I don't have time for it. And if I do spend time in it, once I find out what it is going to cost me, I probably don't have time for that side of it either. It's probably just more time. I've already got a lot of time being eaten up with a lot of important things, so... But Jesus just said, go and do the same. It also cost the Samaritan his reputation. Remember, Jews and Samaritans, they don't talk, they don't get along, they don't wave, they don't say bless you when you sneeze. They don't do anything for each other. They don't, certainly don't help another person out that's of the other race that's in trouble. I mean, his friends are going to think, if his good Samaritan friends see him helping out a Jew, his friends are going to think, you sell out. We don't help them. And the innkeeper has got to be wondering, what's wrong with your brain? Like, it's nice that you're helping, but Samaritans don't help Jews. And think about this. If he puts the, guy, if he puts the Jew on the donkey and he helps walking him in, and if, he help, if some other Jews see him, the other Jews are going to think he might have beaten up the guy, and now he's trying to kidnap him. His reputation is all kinds of trouble. And obviously it costs him money. Like olive oil costs money. 
Wine costs money. Paying the hotel room and then paying for the additional fees will take money. And we read that sometimes and we're like, two coins. Man, two coins. We think two coins. What's two coins? What's two coins? I mean, he's caring for this guy that's all busted up. And two coins, recognize, we think, well, two coins, it's easy for us to think, well, uh, two quarters? Well, that's not going to cover very much. Maybe, maybe it's two silver dollars. Biblical scholars are at, great, are at great odds with how much these two coins are worth. They actually argue whether or not these two coins are worth caring for the guy for two weeks or caring for the guy for two months. Like, that's how much he's putting on the line. Either two weeks of care or two months of care. Either way, it is costing this guy a lot. A guy that he doesn't know, a guy that he doesn't have any connection with, a guy that has a different background, a guy that's had a different education, a guy that has been treated differently by society, a guy that has nothing in connection, and now the Samaritan has covered two weeks or up to two months of his expenses. What Jesus wants us to understand, what Jesus doesn't want us to take away, is any sort of false idea that helping our neighbor out will be easy or cheap. He's actually being really clear, saying, this is an expensive decision. But our leader, Jesus, the one we say, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for giving me for all that I've done. I'm going to follow you. That guy just said, follow what I just said. Go do that. Your neighbor is the person that is in need. The call is to love them. And it's probably going to cost you time, it's probably going to cost you reputation, it's probably going to cost you money. And anybody that's following along in your notes is thinking, oh my goodness, we are only halfway through the fill in the blanks. And that is correct, the service is actually going to last for two hours. <laughs> Sorry, we thought we put that on Facebook this week. Nobody's ready for that? Actually, this last bit's going to go really fast because I just wanted to get you to the point where we got to respond. So here's what I want you to see. I'm going to give you four quick ways that we can love our neighbors. And those of you that are running the slides, you're probably not going to be able to keep up with me because I'm going to fly because I didn't keep track of the time. So let's start simple. One of the really simple ways that we can love our neighbor, it doesn't take any training, it doesn't take any resources, is this. The first way is to encourage when someone is hurting. The greatest definition, the most simple definition of encourage is to input courage into someone, to place courage inside of someone. And when you think about this particular story, this individual that's hurt is now all alone. And one of the greatest ways that the encouragement happened was that the Samaritan simply came and was with him. If you're going through something difficult, one of the hardest things about going through something difficult is going through it alone. And if you and I can simply come alongside somebody that's going through somebody, something difficult and simply stand in it with them, we can suddenly bring encouragement to somebody that is hurting. And when we see our neighbor that's down, and when we see a neighbor that's hurting, if we can simply come along and say, how can I face this hard time with you? We can add encouragement. A second way that we can love our neighbor is to direct someone who is lost. And let me just say this. The less I know you, the more I have to love you in order to direct you when you're lost. Because the less I know you and the further away that you are, the more it's going to sound like, I'm yelling at you. Hey, you're lost. I don't know you, so don't tell me that. So if I don't feel loved by somebody that I don't know when they're yelling at me to change direction, I'm probably not changing my direction. 
So if we're going to direct somebody, the love has got to be at such a level that they, we, that they are able to recognize that we want the best for them, that we care about them, that we actually want them to find something better. And so we, if we're not loading that up with love, don't direct the lot. I mean, this does not mean limit truth. This does not mean avoiding what's really out there. But if we're going to direct lost, it has to be predicated on what Jesus said first, which is to love. And if somebody doesn't feel love, we're probably not going to be able to direct them very well. The third way that we need to love our neighbor is to give when someone is in need. And this was pretty much the obvious thing throughout. It's going to cost us. It's going to take money. It's going to take effort. It's going to take time. And yet Jesus didn't say, ah, if it costs too much, if it takes too much time, if it takes too much money, don't worry about it. Didn't say that. In fact, Proverbs 14.2 says this. It says, it's criminal. It's criminal. It's criminal to ignore a neighbor in need. Those guys have no chance back there. <laughs> They're like, where's he at? I don't know. It's criminal to ignore a pastor that just quoted the verse. No, it's criminal to ignore a neighbor in need. And our excuse is, oh, there's just a lot of need. How do I know which need to respond to? Here's, here's the easiest way. There's so many needs, there's so many things, and rather than saying, oh, now they're trying to be silly and they're going faster. Um, here's all you have to do. The only needs you are responsible to respond to are the needs that God tells you this one's yours. That's all you gotta do. The moment that you feel God saying, this, is one, you, this one you can handle, that's the one you respond to. And one of the greatest ways to figure out whether or not it's one that God has called us to is when we start making excuses and justifying why there's somewhere else we need to be or something else that's more important. Because we don't start trying to justify why we've got to be somewhere else or why something is more important unless God has said respond to that. And so if you find yourself saying, no, that one's not mine, probably that one is yours. And then the last way that we love our neighbor is simply to forgive someone that let us down. Because oftentimes the reason I can't help this individual is because I'm holding something against them. Ephesians says this. Ephesians says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You and I have the most incredible opportunity to love those that are around us, maybe even those that have wronged us. And in the end, we have the opportunity to follow our leader by responding to opportunities and love our neighbors. And every week we just challenge you, encourage you to think about your next step, to be open to what God wants to say to you. So maybe your next step this morning is to ask God to open your eyes this week, to see others as your neighbor. Maybe your next step is to identify the person in your life that needs to be encouraged. Maybe you need to ask God for courage to not fear the cost of being a neighbor. And then maybe you need to take care of a neighbor this week that you have previously not thought of as your neighbor. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. God, I would just ask that you would begin to press upon our hearts the ability and the courage and the desire to see who our neighbor truly is. To not turn, to not walk away, to not make excuses, to watch for and allow you to press our hearts towards those that are in need. God, help us to love this way. Help us to go and do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.